Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to what I predict will be a very interesting <laughs> episode of Courtside Fracas. Uh, I'm joined by Canyon and Sai, and today is the first episode of the 2021 postseason. Very quickly, Sai, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Much awaited return. Uh, I don't know if everyone else was awaiting my return, but I certainly was. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready to get with it, man. Obviously, I came with the representation today representing today yeah man and uh i, I dread to ask this question canyon how are you doing you know boy killer k just like cam doing fantastic bro you know me i'm playoff ready so <laughs> it's been a long time and i'm glad to be back <laughs> all right uh before we get into the into the main topics today let's go over some news quickly um, as always with the NBA, things move so far. So although these are somewhat up-to-date news topics, there are also somewhat uh, older topics. Kwame Brown uh, has made a resurgence onto the internet. So Kwame Brown in, in his beef versus Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson. For those of you who maybe have been li- living under a rock for the last uh, five, six days, uh, Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson didn't have the, the kindest of thoughts uh, about, uh, about Kwame Brown on, on their podcast, All The Smoke, uh, while they were interviewing... Uh, Gilbert Arenas and uh, who was the other the person they were interviewing? Oh, was it? Us. There we go. Um, and Kwame Brown has responded, calling the two of them out. Uh, so it's been good and, and fun to watch that back and forth. Uh, the play-in has, has come and gone. That's almost old news now. Uh, but the play-in has come and gone. Tatum had 50 in the first game of, a, of the Celtics play-in, or the only game of the Celtics play-in. Uh, 50 points versus the Wizards. And LeBron hit a game-winner versus the uh, the Golden State Warriors to seal the Lakers' position um, in the playoffs. And the Hornets, unfortunately, for for the LaMelo Ball uh, crew out there, including myself, the Stan group, uh, the Hornets are no longer in playoff contention. Uh, and then some news that broke two days ago, I believe, which is LeBron broke the COVID rules, the COVID regulations, but will not be suspended by the NBA. Uh, is anyone surprised by that? I don't think so. Gentlemen, your thoughts on, on those news stories? 
Starting with Kwame is definitely a good shout because <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it's long overdue to be fair. I mean, he's been catching corn for what the better part of 20 years now. Um so to 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 see him in his element, clap him back. He yeah. he has punchlines galore. Um it's very, very difficult to decide whether or not J. Cole came with more punchlines or Kwame Brown <laughs> over the past week. Um I mean, they're probably both as good as each other on the basketball court, which is it ain't saying much. Isn't well, saying much. <laughs> well, but yeah, bro. I, I think my favorite, my favorite uh, line from Kwame was referring to Matt Barnes as Becky with the good hair. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you get any better than that. Um, but yeah, man, it's been pure entertainment, and it's it's, it's good to see somebody actually be able to de- defend themselves because, yeah, he's been the butt of all the jokes for as long as I can remember. So it's good yeah, to see definitely. him get in the shine. Oh, yeah, bro. I'm all for it. This is actually fantastic. Like, listeners, now I'm all for all sorts of verbal violence as we've seen in my own course. Stuff. So, yeah, calm it down. Like, well and truly, there's been many a bust in the NBA, but no one has actually received as much abuse as he has and if we want to add like some nuance to the arguments, he came straight out of high school. Obviously, very difficult situations, blah blah blah. But then he put it into perspective for people like, "Hey, listen, I was 19 years old. I bought my house on a golf course. Like, I think I'm good. I played in the NBA for 10 years. I can't have been that bad. And I made 70 odd million. So in reality, you are calling me shit, but my life's still better than yours. And yeah, it was good to see him like flash back at Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson because even though their podcast is great, like shout out those guys. There's some moments where they unnecessarily go at some guys give or take and like Tommy Brown has been the easiest target to go at whatever so the fact that he's managed to cook him this time is beautiful and I did enjoy him calling Derek Fisher Matt Barnes mental <laughs> <laughs> he said he jumped over a, a fence that he paid for <laughs> of his own house very disrespectful to you so okay yeah, so the, those, are the, those are the news topics for today Let's get into the topic which everyone is is eagerly awaiting us to talk about. Uh, the Warriors. So, Steph Curry and the Warriors uh, did not make the playoffs this year um, due to the, the NBA play-in tournament, which has been adopted for this 2021 season. They finished eighth in the Western Conference standings this year, um, had to play the Lakers, which they which they lost to with that LeBron last, uh, last minute three, then played the Memphis Grizzlies on Saturday night, and lost in overtime to John Morant and the Grizzlies. Canyon. In fact, let's not go to Canyon. Let's go to Sai. Sai is a responsible man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Canyon. Uh, I'll, be, Canyon I'll, I'll, I'll play, I'll play uh, Light Skin Brothers Bro. advocate today. So. Bro, like, as, we, as, as is well documented on the previous episode of Courtside, I've been a Steph slanderer within reason. Because as we saw at the first half of the season, while he was getting his numbers, the Warriors were terrible. And they were not playing well. I had predictions in my ear saying, don't worry, it's coming good. There are top four seed waiting to happen, top five. I heard all the stories. But I just like to say to everyone that I was right. Because half of this season, albeit he's what, never what raised... What specifically were you right about? Well, still I was right about that they weren't making the playoffs. That they were going to be they're going to be in the situation that they are now. And while he's level raised and they got better, all I'm saying is I just want some consistency across the board. Because lesser PGs have taken lesser teams into the playoffs 
in the same conference. But can you can you give us yeah, some examples? Oh, you know who I'm talking about. I don't need to say the name. <laughs> You're yeah, for, the, for, the, for the people at home. <laughs> Listen, the, the first of his name, Russell Westbrook. So we know what we're talking about. And so yeah, like Steph, I stopped slandering like halfway through the season because all we saw his level was insane. And he might be, we'll get into it later, but he's a top three MVP candidate. He's played sensationally. LeBron called him MVP. And yeah, he's played great. But well and truly, we saw like he could carry a team, but he carried them to nowhere. So <laughs> like, all right, Sai, Sai, your, your thoughts. Oh man, it, it's it's unfortunate that that he had to go out like that. To be to be honest, um, LeBron hitting a hitting a free when seeing triple, fucking hell, like that that was embarrassing first and foremost. Um, but then but then it's it's somewhat poetic because uh, Steph Steph was the closest man to him and didn't really contest the shot. So, I mean, it shows shows what some of his pitfalls are. Albeit being a fantastic offensive player, he is. As as uh, Canyon said, sub average or <laughs> something along those lines. Um, so yeah, man, it's 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 a bit disappointing because I think it would have been entertaining to see see them take that first game and see uh, the Lakers and LeBron scramble. But by the second game, the overtime win by the Grizzlies, um, it was much deserved by them, man. Like John Morant has 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 shown that he is going to be one of those players in the in the in the future um i think last year obviously with them missing out on the playoffs hit the perception of him sort of plummeted just that little bit which was obviously unfair given the fact that he was a rookie um but yeah man he's he's starting to come into his own and obviously the conversation is supposed to be about Steph but what more could he do in in that situation man i'll add some nuance like fair play yeah. to like the first game, well and truly, if it wasn't for LeBron seeing three rims, um, they would have actually, they probably should have won that game. They were up big yeah. enough at the half and that out of the two games, that was the one they deserved to win. Like he put themselves in a good position. Like he got his number two, people playing well and I'm not really sure what kind of happened. Like obviously LeBron and AD, AD didn't really do much. They didn't want to play in the paint. Draymond was dominating him. And then the second game, like you said, they kind of deserved to lose that. And yeah. Yeah, like there's not really much more that Steph could have done. Like we've said, like half through the season, that they're a legitimately bad team, but they were progressing through the ranks, albeit off Steph's back. However, that's me being sensible. But if we're now talking about agendas, which I'm always here for, he's played so well, but where has that gotten them to the playing, which is which Greg has said before, he's not really a fan of. And without the playing, they probably would have been bounced out in the first round. Regardless, well, so I, it, I think for me, for me, when it comes down to Curry, is it comes down to the inconsistencies that you have with NBA fans. So exactly. for 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 years upon years and decades upon decades, we've seen people unfairly criticize players that have played with subpar rosters and dragged them to wherever. So the, the example that I always use, which which still is debated about today, is LeBron in two thousand nine. So LeBron took that Cavaliers team. They won 66 games in the regular season. LeBron won MVP, um, one of the best seasons, you know, just in in NBA history by a player. And he averaged 38, 39 points, eight rebounds, eight assists in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Orlando Magic. Um, hit a three at the horn to win one game and lost in six to a team that, although it didn't win as many regular season games, top to bottom talent-wise, and even from a coaching perspective, was better than that Cavs team. And yet people still 
blame LeBron. Here we are 11, 12 years later and say, oh, LeBron didn't do enough. So if that's the unfair standard that we're judging people by, then you can't all of a sudden change your mind when it comes to Curry now. And it seems that 2021 is the year where people finally have realised that basketball is a team game. And again, I use yeah. LeBron as another example because he's someone that we can all, we're all familiar with and all can relate to. And we've watched him for the last 10 years, 20 years. You know, LeBron in the finals versus the Warriors had a number of playoff series, a number of final series, sorry, where, you know, the Warriors top to bottom were more talented, uh, had, had better players than he did. Uh, 2015, Kyrie Irving goes down at the end of game one, already know Kevin Love, uh, and they lose that series. And then we know the Warriors when they had uh, KD on the team, as well as, you know, Clay, Curry and Draymond. Uh, and who did LeBron have? Kyle Korver, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love. You know, you could clearly see the difference in talent, but the Curry fans were not not giving LeBron any slack. Uh, and lo and behold, you know, the tables have turned. We've seen other point guards, Chris Paul with OKC last year, uh, Westbrook with OKC a few seasons ago, leading their teams to the fifth, the sixth seed, seventh seed, wherever it was. You know, we've seen Dwayne Wade in 2009 lead that Heat team to the fifth seed. We Kobe in 2005, six and seven, two out of his three years, take the Lakers to the playoffs. Uh, you know, LeBron's done it. We've seen numerous players do it. So, you know, Curry fans were talking that talking that stick talk. And when the tables were turned and he got put in the same situation, it hasn't ended as mm-hmm. uh, uh, as this hasn't ended as they would have liked. Uh, and it just goes to show you, basketball is always a team game. So <clears throat> I hope that's a lesson that can be learned from uh, for, for NBA fans far and wide. Um, but we ain't finished with the Warriors. So let's move on from Stephen Curry and start to talk about another player on that team, Draymond Green. How how good is Draymond Green really? Sai, uh, let's start with you. I, I still, to this day, feel like he, he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. And it's partly because the way that people look at the offensive side of the game, now it's just become how many frees can you throw up? How many points can you get? on the end of the box score. But they ignore the fact that without Draymond, that Warriors team probably would have been one of the bottom two teams in the Western Conference, let alone being in the play-in. They would have been nowhere to be found because ultimately Draymond is the primary ball handler and facilitator on that team. Whatever people want to try and draw up, he is the one that makes that offense tick and he's the one that creates movement and space for the rest of the team to try and get Steph open. So the fact that him missing three-point shots is obviously funny because of the fact that his form is is higgy out of nowhere and his percentages have steadily just begot, become they say you a joke. There's a backpack on his, on his back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, with all of that aside, like I, I genuinely think like without without him, they're worse. With him and another star... They become finalists, pretty much. Like they become, they become top tier team in the NBA. Can you you can shake your head. Can you disagree? Can you? Can you? Your thoughts? Strongly. Why? While I accept that Draymond Green is a fantastic team player, I think his importance to that team is very much overstated, purely because of the situation. And we can't obviously begrudge people's situations. But like you said, he's a primary ball handler on the team. Blah blah blah. He's the best defender on the team. But as we saw this year, when the ball was in Steph's hands the majority of the times, things went a lot better. 
And obviously, Draymond will look fantastic if he's primarily handed in the ball and Steph's coming off screens and he's passing him the ball. And I think throughout the years, because of how good he's been defensively, his value on the team has been like overstated. And I know Greg said this to me in the past, that like personally, like everyone can look good if you've got Clay and Curry standing in the corners, coming off screens and you're passing them the ball, coming off picks. Like, I'm not to understate the work that he does, because I know Steve Kerr and his team have said numerous times the value that he adds off the stat sheet is fantastic. He's a great leader, blah, blah, blah. But I think, especially in like the last two, three years, the Draymond that we knew and the one that you're talking about doesn't really exist anymore. And I think as time goes on, we'll see that more. Like, even if Clay came back, I still think, I don't think finals will be their ceiling, but to make the semis at least, I would expect that of them with him in the team. So... I'm not really sure. I don't really think like he's got that value anymore. So I mean, I, 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 for me, Draymond is Draymond is a confusing player. Um, when I look at other players throughout NBA history, so guys like a, a Ben Wallace, guys like Dennis Rodman, they were what I would say are known entities. So you know that they're not going to give you anything offensively. Just know that, okay? But you expect you know the elite rebounding, the elite defense, uh, post defense, individual defense, team defense. Uh, in the case of Ben Wallace, elite shot blocking as well. You know what they're going to give you on the defensive end and you accept that offensively, you're not going to get much out of them. You know, we've all seen Rodman have games with like two points and 20 rebounds and the same for Ben Wallace. What's so confusing for me about Draymond is that this is a guy, if I look at his numbers, uh, 2016, he was averaging 14 points per game, 49% shooting, 39% from three on three attempts a game. Uh, And since then has essentially become progressively worse. Uh, The next season, 10 points a game, 42% and 31% from three. Next season after that, 30% from three, then 29, then 28, then 27. So it's when you look at Draymond catching the ball at the free throw line, like you saw at the end of uh, either regulation, yeah, at the end of regulation in in that playing game, you're expecting him to have a floater or jump shot at the free throw line just to do something, just to put up a shot that's going to hit the rim. Because this is a guy that has averaged 14, 15 points per game in the past. Um, you know, if that's a Ben Wallace, you accept, okay, cool, he's not going to be able to do anything. But for someone that has clearly had better days offensively scoring-wise, you know, for him to all of a sudden be this guy that is literally... He, he finished the season averaging uh, or a uh, higher total of rebounds and assists, I think it was, than points for the first... As the first player in NBA history to ever do something like that. Um, so for him to be so inept offensively when it comes to scoring it really shows you how much he benefited from having Clay next to him and that deep bench. And then even in the later years, having Clay and KD. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's harsh for Warrior fans because essentially going forward, you need Draymond from a defensive standpoint, but it means that you're playing four and five offensively. Yeah, um, I agree. And also, well, I know Greg can somewhat attest to this. Like if you're playing in like a good team, you can attribute this to football to our listeners as well. If you're playing in a good team, especially in basketball, and everyone, like four out of five of the team of the Warriors could make their shot or score the ball. When you're catching the ball in the flow of the offence on a team like that, it's not mm. as hard to score, per se, when you're playing like Draymond is in the team now, he's averaging less than he's rebounding, of course. Like, shots are going to be harder to come by to expect more of him. Whereas there, when he was scoring 49% from the field and 39% from three, those shots came within the flow of the offence, be it a spot-up shot because they've tried to stop the ball going to Curry, KD or Clay or in a fast break situation. So for Draymond, those shots were a lot easier then, and there's a lot less pressure on you then to make them because there's other people around you. 100%. Now. 
Fulham have that luxury, so he can't make those shots anymore. And he's not as relaxed. Precisely, but that 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 for me that for me is why I give him the benefit of the doubt because we've seen him we've seen him contribute even more than he is now on both ends of the floor when he was on that better team because that team that team has been built from the ground up to get the best out of each component of it. Now, Curry's Curry's points have been difficult to come by. Like even though he's been splashing the lights out. You can see that it's taking more of him to do it, yeah. and he's having to he's having to put his pride and his ego at the forefront and say, "I'm going to take over." Whereas before he had that luxury, as did Clay, as did Draymond, to basically let the offense run and just take things in 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 an easier manner. Yeah. And I can't criticize Draymond for that, and I can't criticize uh, Steph for that. To be perfectly honest. Also, to be fair, like. It's very noted that like, it's been said in the past and he kind of got away with it because obviously one defense player yeah, playing a great team. Draymond is very undersized for the position that he plays. Yeah. And so yeah, six, being, seven. Like, being six seven out of push and being that physical in how he plays, it's gonna take a toll on you as the years go on. So this iteration we'll see in Draymond is probably gonna be the best we'll see forever now, or the worst we'll see, and it's probably gonna get progressively worse because he's undersized for position, plays a very physical brand of basketball. The injuries will pile up and he's not traditionally like the most athletic player anyway. So you can rely on IQ so much. When dudes are jumping over you and running past you, there's only so much IQ you can really have. Mm, interesting. Okay, let's move on to uh, some of the games from yesterday as it was the first day of the NBA playoffs. Uh, we're going to get straight into what I think was one of, the, one of the more interesting games from last night. That is Clippers versus Mavs, uh, a rematch of the first round uh, Western Conference uh, playoffs from last from last season. Um, the, the Mavs walked away with a victory, I think beating the, the Clippers by about 10 points. Um, Luka Doncic is the star of the Mavs, had a 30-point triple-double. Canyon, do you want to give us your thoughts on, on the game and in particular on Luka's play uh, and why he seems to always be able to dissect the, uh, the, 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 the LA Clippers? Firstly, I'd like to just apologise to Dr. Uber. I don't want to apologise for many things, but Luca actually... <laughs> because, yeah, for especially with the Clippers, I think we raised it slightly yesterday in another group that the Clippers play, I don't know, quite arrogantly. And I think with Luca, um, even though he's the focus, the focal point of the offence, everything runs very smoothly through him. And he was really... I'm not, Paul George, I've been advocating for him all year. He actually had his fun with Paul George. And the fact that they kind of refused to even give him different matchups or different looks. Like if you look throughout the, the series last year and this year, his prior, his his primary matchup has been Paul George, and he's been cooking him centers regardless. And I think as well, like Luca's gameplay is probably more suited to the playoffs, believe it or not. Besides the shouting at refs and throwing up crazy threes, he's very slow and methodical in the way he plays. I think that bides very well for the playoff basketball because we know they're not going to be running back and forth as we've complained about in the past. So well, the, the game slows down a lot in the playoffs, doesn't it? Wait, wait, wait. The wait, game down. slows down. Teams want to utilize that shot clock more, get more high quality possessions. In the regular season, when you go up and, and you take a bad shot, you know you're going to get the ball back within 10, 15 seconds. But in the playoffs, you really want to milk that clock and make sure you can get the best shot available each time down the floor, which I think Luca does a, a good job of doing. And they did a much better job of that than the Clippers, especially when it got to the third quarter, towards the end of the third quarter. The Clippers were only down six. Towards the end, and he started seeing a lot more in the fourth quarter, and they started taking really silly threes. 
which didn't really make any sense. And this is when Luca was off the floor. So, and the Mavs were still getting good shots regardless. I managed to keep that lead at six or eight. They got a bit close, had a bit of momentum when Kawhi got the dunk and so forth. But yeah, I think the Clippers don't didn't really play with any sense of it, of a team that you'd expect with veterans like Serge, um, Kawhi, and Paul George, and Pat Bev on that team. They were really rushing. Reggie Jackson took a few stupid shots. And yeah, they didn't really, defensively, they weren't really all there, which I thought they would be. And offensively, they'll take, they were really rushing, which didn't really make sense considering the time on the clock. And I think the Mavs just kind of kept plugging towards the end. And by then, you saw the score on that you did. Because well and truly, that probably should have been a five to six point game either way. But well, Mavs- I, I want to touch on the Clippers defence in a second, but let's go to Sai. Um, Sai, your thoughts are, are on the Clippers, on the Mavs, and in particular, Luca as well. This is the seventh straight game that Luca's played against the Clippers in the playoffs. And I, I think he's been spectacular in all of them bar one. And the one game he wasn't spectacular, he still finished with a triple-double, if I remember correctly. So your thoughts? It's, it's, it's heavily disappointing to see the Clippers still struggling. Um, it's, it's weird to me that they haven't been able to lean on the fact that they have two of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. And they just haven't figured out a way to leverage that in order to cause opposition guards or forwards any problems. Like... People have been splashing in Paul George's face for so long now and it, it it's becoming a little bit embarrassing because obviously part of that is a symptom of the fact that he takes the responsibility of guarding the best player on the other team. Mm. But he doesn't seem to be the same guy he was before. Like, I don't feel like there's that urgency about his game a lot of the times in in, in the parts that I did watch of, of the game yesterday. He's just sort of li- looking around whenever Luca did score on him and you're like come on man like you you aren't the guy that needs to wait for the help defender you need to take the onus and once once you get a string of stops everything will start to fall into place but he just hasn't really figured out how to how to be effective against Luca um as far as as far as the rest of the game obviously the most notable piece was uh that body bag that Kawhi <laughs> caught on the Mavs that was disgusting um and that, that's the sort of thing I want to see more from Kawhi is just put your head down and do what you do. Because when, when he is in full pump, there's nobody can, that can really stop him, to be fair. I'm on to Kawhi. I'm on to <laughs> why, why are you on to Kawhi? Before, before, you get there, I want to talk, before you get there, I want to talk about the Clippers uh, offensively and defensively. I feel like defensively, people are giving them a little bit more flack than than what you actually saw. Their defense was a was a a, a tale of two halves or a tale of two different heads. Um from a team defense perspective, I thought that PG and Kawhi played really well. They were active with their hands. You saw them uh just forcing a lot of turnovers, getting out on the break. Um Luca did stop a few of those fast breaks with uh with fouls on Kawhi and, and PG, uh, which ultimately led to him getting in, in foul trouble in that game. Um, but I thought from a team defense perspective, especially on the on the perimeter, uh, PG and Kawhi and the Clippers played well. Where I thought that they lacked was, yes, we know uh, Luca went berserk. Um, I think it's possible. It is possible for someone to play good individual defense and still get cooked. My yeah, favorite example of that is uh, is Jordan's double nickel against the Knicks. Like John Stark, John Starks played great individual defense, but Jordan was just not missing. Um, so I think it is it is possible for PG and Kawhi to play good one-on-one man defense against Luca and you know Luca is still gonna still gonna hit his 25 30 35 
uh, points. What was disappointing for me defensively for the Clippers was there's nobody protecting the rim. And so those instances where the ball gets swung and one of the other guys is able to uh, dribble and penetrate to the basket, they're getting easy layups at the basket and Zubax isn't back, isn't uh, behind them. He got taken out of the game uh, for extended periods. Uh, Ibaka was playing limited minutes. And so, you know, where you have Kawhi and PG, although they are great defenders, they are, they are going to get beaten off the dribble. That's just the nature of basketball, the nature of defence. You have to react uh, to the offensive player. But... Those guys, Kawhi and PG, they're used to, or in the past, we've seen them lead the offensive player into the defensive big. So Kawhi is used to having Tim Duncan back there uh, to cut off, you know, the, the lane to the basket. PG, we know, has played with Roy Hibbert, <laughs> if anyone remembers him, uh, back in those early Pacer days, 2013, 2014. He was one of the best shot blockers in the league. Uh, I don't know if you remember when, when LeBron hit that game-winning layup at the buzzer versus the Pacers, they interviewed PG afterwards and he said, like, oh, I'm used to having Roy behind me as, as kind of like a help. Yeah. And that's what you saw from the Clippers. There's no help there. So when someone does get beaten off the dribble, there's no one there to, uh, to, to, to play help and, and to bail them out. And from the case of Zubax, you know, we talk about um, Luca cooking PG and Kawhi and rightfully so. But there was a, a period of time during, I think, the second or third quarter where uh, Luca came down and just ran screen and roll and got Zubax on him like three or four possessions in a row. And as a result, um, they just have to take him out of the game. Because if if if, the, if PG or Kawhi are not going to fight through that screen or communicate and and stick to the body of Luca, then he's going to cook your center every day. And that's 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 part of that's part of the the thing that annoys me about them is I know we spoke about this earlier in the season about the volume of switches that we see in the NBA despite the fact that not everybody is equipped to do it. I think mm. if there's there's a there's a couple of teams that you would expect to be able to switch on 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 every play, and that would probably be the Knicks and the Heat, probably, yeah. in terms of size and personnel. The Clippers aren't that, especially not yeah. with someone like Zubak on on the on the court. So I do want to see Kawhi and PG basically just be aggressive and take onus of the situation and just say okay cool if we're going to get beat by this person let it be on me and let me not lean on the fact that I'm waiting for help or they're forcing switches because both of them are good enough to to read and react to those situations and be effective in them even if it does mean that they're exerting that little bit more energy also as well I think it's also quite funny you say that because last year if anyone remembers there was a lot of heat on Doc Rivers because they're playing Harold over Zubac. Yeah. Well, obviously Harold, we know as the Lakers obviously know, is a horrible defender. Somebody, as I like to say. But then they were advocating playing um, Zubac over Harold. So this is obviously Doc Rivers left playing in a great defensive team. Now he's got the he's got the 76ers. But now obviously Harold's gone. Zubac has now come in, and the regular season doesn't really give you much. But you can now see in the playoffs, like maybe Doc was somewhat vindicated because even though he's just got. Horseman or Cow Manual, like none of them can really defend. Like there was clearly a reason why Zubac wasn't playing. Obviously, Harold's a bit quicker on his feet and a better rebounder, even though that Zubac is seven foot. So that's also quite funny. And yeah, just quickly, the reason I am onto Kawhi, nothing serious, is just the fact that, like Greg was saying, NBA fans, there's like a little bit of consistency because when it ain't going their way, Paul George is always the first person that people look at when the mm. best. Team on both sides of the ball is Kawhi Leonard. 
And there's been points in time where Kawhi Leonard has been nowhere to be seen compared to what people compare him to obviously getting his head down and doing work. So I just like a bit of consistency because all the Clipper failures are normally put onto Kawhi. Not Kawhi, sorry, they're put onto Paul George. Whereas Kawhi is in that same team and also gone missing at key periods if we don't remember the last seven game series last year. I mean, PG had a slow start in this game, but he did play, he did um, he did shoot well in the fourth quarter. Um, Kawhi was almost the opposite, had a decent first three quarters uh, and then was nowhere to be seen down the stretch. Well, it matters. Shock. But guess what? Considering <laughs> people tell you that Paul George, Peter Street told you that Paul George was the one that failed the team because he started so poorly and his shooting numbers weren't right. But Kawhi's poster will be remembered and the few steals that he had. And the thing is, that's been a running trend for like the last two seasons. Like, it would be Paul George getting the smoke and Kawhi would have maybe two or three good quarters in a four-quarter game and they'll completely forget the one where it matters the most and he's gone missing. So, I just like a bit of consistency. Yeah, I'm you won't be getting that consistency for me because, uh, yeah, I'm 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 hiding my face every time Kawhi has a bad performance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on from uh, the Clippers-Mavs game, let's move on to uh, the Nets versus Celtics. Had their first game um, of the playoffs. Uh, the Nets walk away with the victory. Sai uh, is our resident Nets fan. Do you want to give us a, a lowdown, a breakdown of the game, and uh, what you expect to see going forward in the series? Yeah, it was it was it was quite an interesting one because um, through the first two quarters we couldn't hit any any shots. I think we hit our first three in the last three minutes of the second quarter. Um, so it was a diabolical shooting performance. Um, it was sort of it was it was interesting because straight out the gate you could tell that Kevin Durant was sort of working towards putting his imprint on the game. He's very aggressive on both sides of the ball, um, albeit with his shot not really falling. Um, his defense on Tatum, was Tatum defense, yeah, the the Tatum defense was absolutely masterful. Like I I don't think I've seen better defense on Jason Tatum. He was forcing. He's forcing him to basically just hit side iron or pretty much absolutely nothing on numerous occasions. He was taking he was taking the onus of marking him man to man, and yeah, man, it was it was an impressive performance from that standpoint through the first half. Um, albeit with us going into the half down, um, the second the second half was totally different though. Um, yeah. We started moving <laughs> the ball a lot better. Um, we we saw we didn't see enough of our sort of short roll actions, which has been a hallmark of our game, especially with James Harden playing with, alongside uh, either Bruce Brown or uh, Blake Griffin. So we didn't see enough of that. It was a little bit too much isolation uh, and trying to force trying to force mismatches for isolation purposes as opposed to getting the open shooters. Um, but when we did get the ball moving, it was it was fun to watch, man. And ultimately. I feel sorry for the for the Celtics just a little bit because they really, really don't have a full health squad and they would need that to even take one or two games from this series. So it should be a sweep. I can't mm. really see any other any other outcome from this. I can't wait. And if guys like if 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 guys like Kyrie um and Jeff Green in particular keep up their their end of the bargain where they're not the first two guys that they go to. It's funny saying that about Kyrie. 
But when Kyrie does get his moments, if he continues to just be efficient and as deadly as he was in that game, and if uh, Jeff Green is is that defensive anchor that we've needed him to be all season, then I think we're going to be all right for the whole duration of the playoffs, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, this uh, this next Celtics game was was really a tale of two halves, as, as cliche as that is. Uh, Celtics started strong uh, throughout the game, good three-point shooting. Uh, Tatum was hot in the first quarter. Marcus Smart was, was hitting his threes in the first half. And then the second half came and the Nets, I think, were down maybe six or eight points uh, going into halftime. And they, they equaled uh, within a couple of minutes. And then just the onslaught came. This is not the first time we've mentioned it and it won't be the last by any means. But uh, I mean, uh, looking at my notes, we had a Harden three followed by Kyrie three followed by KD three. KD two pointer, then a Harden three, then a Kyrie two. At this point, the Nets are up eight and then Harris three. So you're just you're just going through five to six minutes where it's just the big three taking over. And when you have three guys that can can score 25 to 30 each without really, you know, that, that's, the, that's their average. Um, they're not doing it. They're not overextending themselves. You know, you're just going to outscore a lot of teams and outscore your own mistakes. Um, Tatum, I felt, had had a decent game. Uh, from the box score, box score perspective, probably not as good as you would have liked to see. But um, obviously, he's in a unique situation with where Jalen Brown is down. Uh, as I said, started the first quarter hot. His passing was great in this game. But what stood out to me was, uh, number one, his defense. You know, KD still finished with, I think, 30, 31 points, but um, didn't shoot in typical KD fashion. We know he's a kind of 50% from the field guy, uh, was significantly under that mark. And you saw Tatum's like individual one-on-one defense on on KD, you know, one of the hardest guys in in the league to guard. And I felt like he did a decent um, decent job on him. And more, more noticeably, when Tatum wasn't on Durant, you saw how easy Durant was getting to the basket in that first quarter, first half, uh, specifically from that right side, just cutting back door and getting a lot of dunks, a lot of easy lay-ins. Um, and Tatum certainly kept up his end of the deal uh, from a defensive standpoint, trying to make things difficult for Durant. Yeah, uh, KD in particular, um, as much as I agree that Tatum played, again, as good defense as you will see on someone like uh, KD, there were a lot of shots that KD was just missing that he normally makes, um, Mm. particularly, as you said, from the right-hand side, cutting to the left, little floaters, all of that stuff, they just weren't falling. They were rattling off the rim, and that first quarter is really painful to watch because, yeah, it, it could have easily set the tone for the rest of the night if we didn't have two other guys who can dictate and change the course of a game. Um, I also want to touch on that second half fall that KD had. Uh, the drive on um, on Marcus Smart, where Marcus Smart took the charge and KD just hit the fl- hit the floor like a ton of bricks. It looked like <laughs> one of those um, one of those collisions in GTA where the ragdoll physics Please. kick in. You just sort of flopping on the floor like a fish it was it was a scary moment but glad to see that he was all right what, what are your thoughts Sai? uh and i go to you Sai, because you're the you're the resident nets fan on uh on williams the third his performance um nine blocks uh and he was you know somewhat injured towards the end of of the game um just a magnificent defensive performance what type of what type of series do you think he is going to have and then more importantly you know, you look towards some of the other bigs in the East and in the NBA, Embiid and and AD. What sort of trouble do you think you guys are going to going to run into when you face these teams with with good front courts? I think him in particular. He's he's 
more mobile than a lot of other guys. And obviously, AD and Embiid are two of the better bigs in terms of mobility and ability to switch on perimeter defenders. That kid, though, if he continues in the way that he's going, defensive player of the year is is not outside of his, his reach because his positioning and his timing are impeccable. Like he... He saw him guarding Harden on, on the perimeter in, in one instance. Precisely. And he, he 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 mirrored the step back, caused Harden to check himself, which is a rare occurrence, and then mirrored him on the drive as well. So he's shown fantastic footwork, fantastic timing, elite positioning, and he's he's one of the better help defenders in, in the NBA as well. So yeah, man, I'm I'm really impressed by him. Obviously, our resident uh, Celtics man. Yaz has been gushing over him for the whole season. <laughs> um, but we don't give him credit when when he mentions uh, Celtics players because we're not we're not we're not allowing that shamelessness. Um but yeah, man, he's he's a top quality defender, and I think his ceiling is extremely high if he can stay fit. All right. Uh Kenyon, do you have any thoughts on the Nets versus Celtics before we move on to our, our final game for today? Nothing of nuance like you two gents. I just want to say that I think they're hopelessly overmatched. I think the shining lights are, like you said, um, Robert Williams and Tatum. But mm. KD was missing all these shots. Like, God forbid he's defending the next game because you know, like, it's very rare for KD to have two bad games, not bad games, but two games shooting like that. So whoever's on him next game, just like, just pray because you know <laughs> where he's going to go off. And like you said, like I just want to add something tiny as well that people don't really realise about Kyrie, albeit within his 50, 40, 90 season and playing amazingly. Kyrie is a very good, def- very adequate defender. Like no one sees it because of all the stuff, all the razzle-dazzle and all the dribbles like dropping Evan Fournier and so forth. But Kyrie is a very... Made him the knee. <laughs> well, Evan half Fournier. of defence is, is effort. And <laughs> on the effort side of things, he's he's been he's been given effort all season long, I feel. 100%. Yeah, his Cavs days, like when he actually locked in and tried to defend, like he gave, he stayed in front of his man. Even that man was Curry a lot of the time. He stayed in front of him and did his best. So, yeah, I think we should look out, especially in the future, like Jeff Green's your yeah. But he's he's no he's no Tony Allen or Gary Payton, but he he does as best as he as he can with the physical, you know, stature and, and, and qualities that he has. Wait, six three. And his yeah. six three is very different to Steph Curry's six three. Even though Kyrie obviously also slight, he's not slight as Steph. He's more a bit more lanky than he is, so he can get his body in the way. So yeah, we'll see. But that's what Doc Buck really had there. All right. So the final game that I think we're going to cover today, gents, is uh, Bucks versus Heat. Now this is a game that probably for the first three quarters was was somewhat of a snooze fest. Uh, a, a very good defensive game. Uh, you know, you know, you guys know that I like those type of games. Um, but things really started to heat up, no pun intended, uh, in the fourth quarter and overtime. Um, we had uh, Jimmy, but- Jimmy Butler with the game-tying layup uh, to force overtime, driving past Yanis on that right side. And then we had Middleton looking like prime Kobe with the game winner uh, in, in overtime with, with 0.5 seconds left. This is a series which I feel is going to be very tough for the Bucks. We know that he are one of the teams that can defend the Bucks probably better than anybody in the league. Uh, right up there with the with the Knicks and and the Sixers, um, but gentlemen, your thoughts on on that game and for this series? I think that game really set the tone for what we're about to see for the rest of the series. So that game started very weird. Duncan <laughs> Robinson had a quick three or three from three, 
two off the dribble, which was a bit of a shock. Coming off screens, that was great. And Jimmy also started quite rough. Defensively, not so much, because he stripped Giannis a couple of times. But offensively, not to be a box score bandit, it wasn't the strongest game. Mm-hmm. Although he obviously leveled, us, leveled the game. Yeah. Four for 22 shooting. You know, <laughs> whether you watch the game or not, you can get the idea that Jimmy, Jimmy didn't hit a lot of shots. <laughs> People would also play great defensively and also hit a game-time shot. So there's also that nuance we can also slightly add that's, to it. That's the, exactly. that's the Russ template, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but let's not do that. We're in the playoffs, okay? Uh, we're only slandering one point guard today on this episode. Oh, <laughs> chew that, chew that. Like, also as well, I thought it was quite interesting that Yanis still has his struggle against Miami. Like, he actually just can't find a rhythm against them. And then when he did, when they were kind of running the floor, there was one point where he was in the paint on Jimmy and Jimmy pulled a chair on him because people know yeah, that's the start of the game. That was the start of the game. And for Yanis as well, like one of the commentators said earlier, like when he's in the paint, he wants to get his work up there quickly. He's not going to set like a Joel or Jokic would and then go to work. He wants to get in there and work as quickly as possible then get the bucket and go. And so if you rush him, you're most likely going to get a good result out of that because he's probably going to turn the ball over or potentially might foul him. But yeah, there's that. And then for the Bucks, yeah, even though Drew is there now, their offense still, like I said, isn't as smooth as it maybe should be, even though they're still one of the better teams in the East. And I think that's purely because Miami match up so well with them. And mm-hmm. like earlier, Miami can obviously switch basically almost everything. Um, obviously, Bayanis and so forth. But yeah, they just really didn't get any joy, especially from like Lopez as well early in the game. So that was really. I, I will say though, as as limited as Giannis is offensively, especially you know down the stretch in the fourth quarter and in overtime, he made up for that uh, from the defensive standpoint. Exactly. You know, forcing turnovers, block shots, especially towards you know the end of the game. Defensively, he was a monster uh, last rebounder. night. You can't take that away from him. He's a great rebounder. So yeah, Jimmy struggled as we as we covered four for twenty two. Bam shot four fifteen, um, and then. You know, Middleton obviously with, with the game winner and Drew Holiday making big plays down the stretch as well. You, you obviously we know Holiday is an upgrade over Bledsoe, uh, but you really start to see just how much of an upgrade Holiday is uh, when it comes to when it comes to games like this. And he's got quite the stature as well. I think someone was saying he's six four, which I couldn't believe. So there's that. Not not to mention he's a fantastic defensive player. And on offense, you can you know you can trust him in like the big moments. Like Bledsoe, as we know, incredibly streaky and inconsistent at best, and undersized, just strong. But with Drew, you kind of see a bit more calm, especially in them later moments in the team as well, because you know the ball necessarily doesn't have to go into Yanis's hand. It doesn't have to go into Middleton. And even though he made the big shot, he's always been so quite hesitant in those moments. Even though in his career, he's actually, he's actually had quite big moments like that. I don't I don't know if you remember from a few years ago we hit a game winning the playoffs as well. So he's had those moments but he normally does shy away from them. So I would like to see it more in his hands coming down the stretch in the games. And I think this will be just like the last year against Miami. It just depends like which Miami turns up. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't manage to catch the whole game. I was I was out yesterday. Um but when I did tap into some of the extended highlights and things like that, um it showed me all I needed to know. The Bucks are basically gonna have to win this next game in order for this to go their way. Um, if Miami take one of the first three games, I think I think they go through. Um, there's something about Budenhauser that just reverts back to type. Um, they don't really leverage regular season Yanis at all. And obviously, we've already mentioned that the game slows down and it becomes a bit more 
sort of methodical and things like that. But you have to use Yanis to his strengths. Otherwise, teams like Miami are just going to scheme to make things extremely difficult for you. So playing, playing a style of basketball that allows them to read early, react early, and basically just elongate that shot clock yeah. is not a good idea for them. So they're, they're going to have to play a bit more up-tempo and they're going to have to basically just make Yanis come out of his shell a little bit. I, I need to see him cross that halfway line and just take some of those audacious frees that he was taking during the regular season to just give them give them something else to think about because otherwise they're gonna they're gonna be more than comfortable sagging off, letting him post up and just playing the law of averages with him. Also as well, I think what is good to note as well is that the Bucks are actually a very good three point shooting team. So you can actually utilize Yanis in that sense, in the sense that he's also a very, very good playmaker for his size. Yeah. He's actually quite understated. With the same way Ben Simmons' playmaking is overstated, Yanis is understated. <laughs> so in, in, in this league as well, like Greg has touched on it as well. It's a very high pick and roll league, especially for the smaller guards, as well. We see like such high scoring games. And the fact they've now got a Drew Holiday there and Yanis as well. There was a couple of plays in there where they had a pick and roll with Yanis, but they didn't feed him the ball. And in my mind, I'm thinking, hold on, this man is 6'11, damn near seven foot. You've got a very good point guard who's still with the ball and he's surrounded by shooters. It's actually very well-constructed, like you'd normally think for a team. So in that position there, if you've now fed the ball to Yanis over the top or slipped the ball in through a pick and roll, he's surrounded by shooters in the sense that even if he doesn't manage to get anything at the basket and he rushes it, he's surrounded by a Brent Forbes, a, um, um, DiVincenzo, Middleton as well. Like you need, I think you need to utilize that a lot more. Yeah, Lopez, Bobby Portis. Yeah, they can actually. Lopez, Lopez's minutes are going to get cut by, exactly. by game yeah. three. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Portis is the way the way to go in this series. Yeah. Uh, just just as a more mobile mobile player on both ends of the floor, like yeah, five. He's had a really really good season as well. So Jordan holds a revert into type, like pick and roll. You're going to see a lot with the bigger teams as well. You see it all the time with LeBron and the Lakers. You'll see it with every other team with a dominant wing and a somewhat serviceable big man. Giannis is more than serviceable. Obviously, he's an elite player. But if you just utilise the pick and roll as much as possible, especially in games that are slowed down, you're going to get the best out of him because you now know he can't run the floor like he wants to because the great wall of Miami Heat are going to find a way to stop him, as we saw. So I think, like you said, find better ways to utilise the fact that they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league and they have Giannis there as well. So pick and roll, like you said, drop Lopez and bringing Porter who's a bit more mobile and can also shoot just as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Interesting. Only one night of basketball passed so far. We've got a long way yet to go, and uh, we've we've been discussing uh, discussing a lot of action. So I can't wait for the for the rest of this first round and the rest of these NBA playoffs. Um, thank you for listening. You can catch us on the Courtside Frackers Twitter account. Uh, all throughout the playoffs this year, we're going to be doing Twitter live spaces. Uh, we are going live tonight at 6 p.m. for those of you listening to this on Sunday, the 23rd of May. Uh, thank you for tuning in and see you guys next time. Peace. Thanks, guys. Into the Warriors game. <laughs> <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.